I love. I, I love my kids. I, I love uh, my car. I love my job. Or I, I love this church. Uh, but just we use this word so flippantly now, and it gets more and more difficult for us to find a true understanding of what love is and surely see the lack of love that so many of us have in our hearts. Um, it's you know very common and very easy at times to see the lack of love, the lovelessness that is in the world. Uh, and we often don't see the lovelessness we have in ourselves. So this is not a new problem that we have. This is an old problem. Throughout the three-and-a-half-year ministry of Christ, you'll find him most often uh, among the people. Uh, these were the, the sinners, the publicans, those that needed his, his healing, his mercy, his kindness, and his abundant love the most. Uh, they are the most often the ones that, that are first to accept the gift that he's giving, this love, uh, and they are usually the ones that accept it without question and without rebuke and without speculation or assuming that he's got some kind of an agenda. They just, they just pour out to him. However, there are times early in his ministry where we see Jesus as he ministers to the religious elite, to the scribes, the Pharisees, as they, they take an opportunity to reach out to him uh, and try to figure out what he's doing, what's going on. That's what we see here at this time, because they could not deny the miracles that were going on, nor could they deny the, the fact that he was capturing the attention of the people as his fame began to spread. So at times, either for political gain or to question Jesus, they would call him in or bring him to dinner or uh, bring him into some type of a speaking engagement where they could be seen with him, where they could simply pursue a line of questioning uh, or just ask about his preaching. What did he mean in a certain thing? Here as we go into Luke chapter 7, if you'll join me there today, uh, we'll see just such an occasion uh, where the Pharisees have invited Jesus to partake in something early on that later in his ministry he's no longer welcome to. As we get started in, in chapter 7, we see that there's a lot that's going on up to this point in Jesus' short ministry. Uh, there's been many a miracle that's performed up to this point. He's done quite a bit, starting with the water into wine, and then he goes on to heal many, heal the blind, heal the lame. He's done many a great thing, and people are, are slowly but surely really paying close attention to him. He's had several sermons at this point, including the Sermon on the Mount. And he has made quite the stir. But here in the early in chapter 7, he does something that uh, I don't think many of these people had ever seen before, nor heard of before. Uh, as coming through uh, the city of Nain, he happens upon a, bur a, uh, a burial ceremony. And he sees the, the weeping widow uh, who her son has passed. And she, he, he feels compassion for her and her problem, her situation that she's in. Because as a widow, she would have no way to defend for herself. All she had was her son left who was supplying a need that she had. She couldn't work in a normal way. She couldn't do the things in this society that, that we can today, that a woman can today. So she was absent of this ability to be able to provide for herself. And she loved her son. And now he's gone at a young age. Jesus feels compassion on her. He calls out to the young man who arises from his coffin and he's raised from the dead just by the voice of Jesus. And the crowd there is absolutely amazed. And his fame explodes. 
Shortly thereafter, we find this situation that we're going to be reading today here uh, in verse 36. If we can, we'll begin there in verse 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went in with the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. So at this point, you can imagine the scene uh, that there were many people at this table hoping to see Jesus, hoping to see a miracle performed, hoping to get an opportunity maybe to question him or just to hear what he had to say. So a lot has gone on up to this point in Jesus' ministry. And this Pharisee decides, I'm going to have him to my house. This is not some private meeting where he uh, approaches Jesus in the night as another Pharisee did. This is an open engagement where he's invited his closest friends. He's gone out to the other well-to-do people in the city and said, Hey, I'm having Jesus come to dinner with me. Wouldn't you like to come and visit? Would you like to come? And he's invited several people. The whole town is abuzz about this dinner that the Pharisee is going to have with this famous Jesus who's done so many miraculous and wonderful things. So you can kind of imagine what this uh, dinner party is kind of like uh, with people having some small talk and there's, uh, they're possibly asking him about Jesus' recent travels, where he's gone, uh, how was the weather in Nain, uh, how are you enjoying your time in Capernaum, uh, you know, what did you do yesterday, uh, what about that guy you healed, was he really lame since birth? These maybe are kind of the questions that are going on. Maybe there's some inner whispers amongst the others. It's kind of set the scene to kind of get a good idea of what's happening uh, at this dinner party. But things are about to change drastically at this party that no one, except for Jesus, obviously, uh, expected to happen. So as we continue to read here in, in 37 and 38, And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. So a woman enters the room, this dinner party. She's described only in Scripture as a local who was a sinner. That's it. No name, nothing else. How would you like that? If that was who you were, to the people of the city you lived in. Oh, yeah, that's our town drunk. That's the wino that lives, you know, around the corner. That's one of our town drug dealers. Just a sinner. A local sinner. We are all sinners in some fashion or another, but delisted in Scripture merely as a sinner surely means that the sin that she's committed was great. We know from what's about to happen in Scripture the reactions of the others that are there at the party, that not only was she a sinner, but she was known as a sinner to all, not just to Jesus, not just to Luke who writes here. She was known by the whole town as a sinner. We can draw some pretty strong conclusions and pretty much assume that this woman was a prostitute. She was a woman of the night. She sold her body to men's pleasure. Yet she knows that Jesus is going to be at this party. And barring every normal thing that she would do and, and every normal societal thing, she enters this party boldly into the house of a Pharisee, of the religious elite, a zealot, someone who would have nothing to do with her. I'm sure that there was a huge lack of oxygen 
in the room as she entered, and they, <gasps> a gasp, probably vacuumed half the oxygen out of the room. How dare she, this sinner, come into their dinner party? She was uninvited. She knew the risk meant massive persecution at the least and potentially death for her to enter into this Pharisee's home uninvited. It's even possible that she knew some of the other dinner party guests. Just saying. But she does all this just to get to see Jesus. She's so brokenhearted at her own sin that she weeps uncontrollably to the point to produce enough tears that she was able to wash his feet with her tears. I've, I've done some crying. I'll be a man and just admit that I've cried. Okay? I don't do it a lot. It doesn't happen a whole lot. Uh, probably the last time I had a really good cry was a happy cry uh, when, uh, my, when my oldest daughter uh, came to me and she was you know, ready to ask those questions about salvation. And I got that chance as a dad to lead my daughter to salvation for the first time. Absolutely one of the tops of the list in my life. And I was you know, really in tears. They were happy tears. Uh, I can't imagine what this lady, the amount of tears from her broken heart that she's pouring out to the point where she's able to have enough fluid to wash the feet of Jesus. She doesn't stop there, though. Then she then takes down her hair. Understand that this was a huge societal no-no. Women did not take down their hair in society. There are many ladies here today that may wear their hair down. That's very normal and commonplace. But at this time, it was not. For her to take down her hair was, was a big thing. Uh, how they dressed, how they wore their hair, these were signs to who they were, who they were connected to, what family they were connected to, were they married, were they unmarried, so on and so forth. For her to put, take down her hair is big as well. But she takes down her hair, and she uses her hair to dry his feet from her tears. She then kisses his feet and anoints them with an ointment or a fragrant oil. It's important to note that there are other sinners present at the party, just none that are known as sinners and none that recognize their own sin. Also, let's, let's take a second here in verse 38 and I want you to kind of see the position that's going on here. Read again, it says, And stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears. Okay, so she's behind him and begins to wash his feet. So it kind of begs the question about his posture. Uh, most likely he was sitting on the floor, uh, very possibly sitting either on his knees or in such a way that his legs were folded around behind him. She did not face him. She did not come and ask him, Can I do this? This is something I'd like to do. She did not want to come around to the front side of him. She did not feel worthy. She most likely washed not just his feet, but the bottoms of his feet as well. Because that's most likely what she had the best access to. The bottoms of his feet, maybe the sides of his feet to some degree. And then kiss those. Can you, can you place yourself in a situation? My daughter's cringing, ooh, kissing dirty feet, that's gross. Can you place yourself in a situation where you could ever see doing that? Having such a broken heart that not only you could produce enough tears to wash the feet of someone else, 
but to have such love for that person and understand who they were. I mean, maybe a parent. Could you imagine doing this for a parent? I'll tell you right now, my dad's getting on up there. He's in his late 70s now. And anytime he asks me, like, son, can you put my socks on for me? It's kind of like, I don't want to touch your nasty old clawed feet. I don't touch your feet. Yeah, dad, I'll do it, you know. Be nice to him, you know. But I can't say that that's something I want to do, you know. So can you imagine this? This is a really unusual thing that someone would do. So she's most likely, like I said, you know, kissed and anointed the bottoms and sides of his feet. It's clear that she had recognized who she is in her sin and most importantly, who Jesus is, and she is completely heartbroken and given over to him. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing that a person can get to this point. I ask you today, have you ever found yourself at such a point in your life where you were that heartbroken over your own sin, finding yourself at the feet of Jesus? I hope today that you have. Let's read on here in verse 39. Now when the Pharisee, which had, uh, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, Mind you, he's talking inside his own mind. He's thinking. He's not speaking out loud. He spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Man, let's just, let's just start judging, right? Let's just throw that on out there. So we're going to immediately see the lovelessness of the Pharisee. It's unfortunate that this is where they were. This is, this is where the, the synagogue, the Jewish faith was. God's people were at this moment where they looked upon another as a sinner and said, not only do I not want to have anything to do, I don't even want to touch this person. I don't want them to touch me. The lovelessness of the Pharisee. That's where she should have been able to go to find love not be rejected, not find lovelessness. But instead, as we discussed, she's a woman of the night. She's found her love in the world. She's been rejected by the religious. And she sought the world for love and been lost in its arms for years. This is still a problem today in our churches. As we see someone come through the door, and maybe they're a little scraggly, Maybe they decide to come in non-traditional church attire. Can't tell you how tempted I was to come today just like that to prove a point. But I'm not that kind of guy. But I, I see people walk into our church, shorts and flip-flops and a t-shirt, and there are always a few heads that turn. You can't help but notice because it's outside the norm. And I'm not saying that everybody in our churches jumps to the judgment. But many do. And many want to just cast that judgment and say, oh, they don't, they don't, they're not churched. They don't, they don't know how to do this right. And they're ready to discard them. That's so unfortunate. It's so unfortunate that we see people and that we jump to those conclusions. Whether it's their clothing, whether it's uh, tattoos, piercings, you name it. Our immediate reaction is to jump to and decide that they're unworthy of the same love that Jesus bestowed upon us. And shame on us for doing so. That the church would be the place that God's love pours out from. Not as kept inside in some secret place. Not as for only for those who show up in the right attire or have made good decisions in their previous life. 
It's for everybody. Jesus came for all. Unfortunately, often it's just those who are the worst, that have the worst time in their lives. You'll see it. They'll come to that point where they find Jesus. They find themselves brokenhearted at His feet. And they're the ones that are His strongest advocate because they have so much that they've been forgiven for. And we're going to continue to see that here as we get into this parable. We see these people as sinners and we fail to extend to them the love that, that we extended, had extended us by our own Savior. And it's no wonder that the lost have a desire to stay that way when they don't find the love of Christ in our churches and in Christians. Let's move on forward into verse 40. We see what, the, the, what Jesus has to reply to the Pharisee. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. Master, that's another way of saying teacher. This Pharisee had no idea the lesson he was about to learn. He spoke rightly when he called him teacher. Let's read 41 through 42. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him the most? So Jesus poses this parable in an amazing way in this fantastic question. And I'm sure that the Pharisee, for a moment, had to stop and kind of play it back in his head and really examine it. He wants to make sure that everybody's listening at this point. This is not just him and Jesus. There's a room full of people. He's made a question. He knows that Jesus has and made some other people look foolish. He wants to do his best to look as good as he can in front of everybody. So he, he pauses for a moment. He thinks about his answer. All right? But I want you to understand this, this parable of the creditor and debtor. Understand what a pence was. This is not some terminology we use every day. Most of us read the, the passage and we see pence and we think dollar. Our mind just automatically jumps to dollar. This guy owed 50, this guy owed 500 bucks. And we think, well, that's not a whole lot of money. Oh, it was, maybe, it was, that was, maybe it was a lot of money back then. No, 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 no. Understand. We're not talking about equivalent to a laborer's day's wage. So let's just jump out and for easy math, we'll say a general laborer makes about $100 a day. $5,000, and the other one owes him $50,000. Now, if that didn't get your attention as to the amount of the debt that was owed to the creditor, a lot of money. Even today's standards, that's a lot of money. If you owed somebody $5,000, you'd be trying to figure out how to get it repaid. And if you had no way to pay it, you'd be in a real pickle. All right? And I'll tell you, I've been there trying to figure out you know, how to freeze every account and everything else, trying to figure out how to get yourself out of a hole you dug. It's not a lot of fun. I've never made it quite to 50000 okay? But I've, I've been on up there, and it was no fun to have that kind of debt laying over you. And frankly, no one forgave any of my debt. I had to pay it. So here we have this creditor who forgives a very large debt on both accounts. One search. So Jesus then goes on and asks Simon this simple question. Which one of them will love him the most? Read on in 43 through 47, and let's take a look at what happens next. Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgets. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman, and he said unto Simon, Seeth thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. 
Thou gavest me no kiss, but this, since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. He gives Simon this answer, and he tells him that you answered correctly, Simon. I'm glad that you understood the parable. You got that plain a little further. How you invited me into your home, and how it's customary for you to have someone here, a servant typically, to wash my feet. You know, they, at that time, they didn't have Nikes. There was no Nikes. There was no fancy dress shoes. Uh, there was sandals. You had sandals, and they were open-toed, and they, you had dusty roads. There weren't a bunch of concrete streets running everywhere, although Rome eventually does do that. Uh, they're traveling the countryside. Their feet is, are, are it's filthy. They're dirty. And when you come into someone's home, it was customary for them to, if they were typically, if they were poor, they washed your feet for you. If they were wealthy, they had a servant do this. Pharisee doesn't do this. Jesus points it out to him. Hey, you didn't have my feet washed, but this lady washed it with her tears and dried it with her hair. It was also customary for you to be met with a kiss. You know, uh, as I told my young adult group, uh, you know, I said, this is not some, you know, kiss on the mouth. This was, a, you know, a peck on the cheek. This was a, a typical normal greeting of the time, of the day. You know, I said, no, this doesn't, this doesn't happen here. Pharisee doesn't meet Jesus that way, and neither does anyone else in his home. He's, you know, you, don't, you didn't anoint my head with oil, which, once again, customary. They didn't have uh, deodorant like we do. Uh, so sometimes these oils were used just as have a little extra fragrance, you know. I don't get to take a bath every day. So here, put this on you a little bit and, you know, in a loving, passionate way. And, you know, everybody's a little happier for the, the fact that we've got a little better smell going on in the room, right? Okay, these are normal things. And Jesus points out, you did none of this. You invited me into your home and didn't do anything that was customary. But this woman has done all of this, and she poured out her heart, washed her, my feet with her tears, dried my feet with her hair, and then taken this ointment and this alabaster box, something that was a prized possession to her, and she applied it to my feet. You didn't do any of this. And he goes on a little further in 47, Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. 47 is kind of a pinnacle passage here. We can clearly see that all sins can be forgiven, even the sins that the Pharisee had committed and the sins of the rest of the people in the room. We see that gratitude for that forgiveness is based on the amount of, that it's forgiven. That's the lesson that he taught. You might say, well, that seems kind of strange. Most importantly, we see the amount forgiven wasn't calculated by Jesus. He didn't make that determination. It wasn't him that said, this is a sinner and she sinned more than you have. We have determined the amount to be forgiven and therefore the amount to be grateful. When you view yourself as the sinner you are, when you look upon your own sins and see them for what they are, you, you, you can say, well, I, I, I've never done what that woman's done. 
Well, I'm going to tell you right now, although there may be degrees of sin, sin is sin. Just as much as you break the law uh, traveling too fast in your vehicle, it still carries a penalty. Still breaking the law. You've not changed anything. Well, I didn't murder anybody. You still broke the law. We've all broken God's law. We're all sinners. All come short of the glory of God. What God has asked us to do is recognize our sin and not make a judgment on our sin based on what we value it at. Not to look at others and value their sin and say, your sin is greater than mine or my sin is greater than yours. I can remember, I got a friend of mine, a nice lady, she did my taxes for years, uh, worked together at different times and uh, I'd was doing some work on her home and it was not too long after some major changes in my life and I hadn't spent much time around her and uh, I wanted the opportunity to really witness to her to share the change that had been made in my life. <clears throat> so as the opportunity arose, I began to explain to her uh, you know, the, the things that had gone differently and how God had affected my life and how I was no longer the person I used to be and I wasn't living the sinful life that I did and as I go through all this information, I get towards the end and she looks at me and she says, Todd, you're not that bad. <laughs> you know? And it, it, at the time, I just I kind of dismissed it. You know, I was like, well, you know, that's your opinion. That's fine. Uh, but, you know, on retrospect, when I look back at it, I think yeah, that how was how she saw me. She didn't see me as a bad person, even though I saw myself full of sin. No, nowhere close to God where I should have been. Living, leaving a, leading a life that, that, that did not honor him in the least, did not honor my parents, was not respectful of my wife, was not setting up my children for success in a godly life. But those things to her didn't seem to resonate. All she thought was, hey, you've never killed anybody. You know, you've not cheated on your wife. You're not a bad guy. We measure our own sin. So it's important that we actually take a deep look and calculate who we are and what we've done. Let's look at the last part of this passage here, 48 through 50. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he says, Jesus grants forgiveness to the woman, and the others marvel within themselves that he would be able to do this. He still didn't understand who he was. He then reaffirms that salvation is through or is by his grace through our faith. I want to ask you a question. When was the last time that you saw yourself as a sinner in this story? Where your sin was so great that you had nothing left of yourself? that everything you could do was not enough. And you truly saw yourself for who you were, not who others think you are, not who society believes you might be, not family, but who you really are. You know the sins you've committed. You know that those sins were the nails that were pounded through His hands and wrists and feet. You know that those were the stripes across His back. You've connected your sin to your Savior. A debt that you cannot pay. That He paid for you. 
We live our lives daily, and it's easy for us to slip away and forget the sin that we have in our lives. You know, I, I don't, definitely don't do a lot of the things I used to do. Uh, I count myself as a better person by His grace. I still make mistakes. I still do foolish things. I will say things that don't make any sense. Why did I just say that? Uh, you know, I, I will do things that I, I believe in my heart may br- bring some dishonor to my Savior. I, I, I'm, I'm human. I make mistakes. You know, I, I try. I repent. When I do things, I, I, I make people laugh sometimes. If I say something that I, I think was maybe misconstrued, I'll give you a great example. Uh, I had a young lady who was working for me a while back. And I had to let her go. Just wasn't working. And about a week later, I uh, hear her say something to someone in my church uh, that I had said a curse word while we were working together. And she was kind of appalled at this whole thing. And I was blown away. I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. So I had to go. I went to great lengths to go discover what exactly it was she was talking about because it was important to me. Now, I never did discover what she think that I said, but I was very confident that I never said anything. But I still apologized, and I told her that I was sorry if I did say or misled her to believe that I had said something because I would never want to draw her away from my Savior because I do believe the young lady is lost. But I felt really bad about it while at the same time being defensive because I wanted to defend my witness on something that was probably nothing. I mean, on the grand scale of things, most people, even if I had said it, it probably would have been something, one of those little minor ones we like to categorize as a minor thing, you know? I'm pretty sure, still still pretty sure I didn't do it, but like I said, I I clearly don't remember ever saying anything that would have offended her or, or, or been wrong. But I'm so appalled by the fact, the thought that I might have, you know? And I'm not trying to lift myself up. I'm trying to say I'm happy that that's where I'm at that I'm at a position in my life where even a teeny tiny thing that I think someone may have misunderstood about me, I want to go correct. I want to go make sure that they know that's not me. That's not who I serve. That I'm called to a higher purpose. That Jesus has asked me to live in a way that was a reflection of Him and not of this world. It's important that we, we remember the sins of our past and look to be forgiven of the sins that we commit daily and understand that even those little small ones were still part of the price He paid. We should still be heartbroken every time we make a mistake. Every time maybe you're in traffic and you say something, even if it's under your breath, that you know you shouldn't have said. Or you think something about somebody else that you shouldn't have thought. You should be heartbroken about that. You should reach out to your Savior and want to wash His feet with your tears and say, I'm sorry. I know that even that is something that you paid the price for. Not just this woman who was a great sinner in the eyes of many. Not just other people that I look at and deem to have a sinful life because they are in Hollywood or they don't have a home, they live under a bridge or... Remember, we're all just as guilty. We've all come short of His glory. We all need His redeeming grace. A debt that you couldn't pay, 
that if you had to pay, would cost you an eternity in death. That's the price. And Jesus paid that price with his death on the cross to give you an eternity of life that you simply must accept as a free gift. That's so awesome. He understood that this lady, she understood that. She didn't walk into that place and judge anybody else. She judged solely herself as a sinner she was and sought his grace, sought forgiveness, and was willing to belittle herself and lower herself as low as possible to show him and others how she was. Absolutely brokenhearted. When was the last time you saw yourself as the Pharisee? So quick to judge others. So quick to look at someone and just because they maybe have said something or dressed a certain way or drove a certain kind of car or lived in a certain part of town, had a certain skin color. And you've labeled them sinner, not worthy, not worthy of my time, not worthy of the price that Christ paid. Shame on us if we do that. Our own lovelessness as Christians stems from a lack of honest awareness of our own sin. Be honest with yourself today. Know who you are. Have a great appreciation for what Christ did in His finished work on the cross. Know the price that was paid for all your sins, no matter if they seem to be few in your eyes or many. And be as this woman. Find yourself at the feet of Jesus, seeking His grace and His mercy. As we get ready to close this morning, I'd ask our musicians to come forward and get ready for a hymn of invitation. I would ask you today if, if that's who you are. You find yourself today as that sinner or that Pharisee. I say, no, I'm just a party guest. They weren't much better than the Pharisee. They still saw this woman. They still didn't understand who Jesus was as they sat there saying, who is this that forgives sins? It could only be one person. It could only be Jesus. It could only be the Christ. The Messiah. And yet they still fail to recognize Him. So as our musicians get, to play, uh, get ready to play, I ask you all to stand this morning. Open your hearts to what Jesus would have you do today. Is it time to make a change in your life? Do you not know Him as your Savior? Are you ready to accept His free gift of amazing grace? Or maybe it's just time you knelt at the feet of Jesus with your broken heart said, change me. I don't want to be who I am anymore. I don't want to be this person that's been neglectful of others. I want to be your child shining your light in a dark and broken world. Ready,